So I studied accessory design in specific, which is shoes and handbags and hats, all of that. I studied in the Fashion Institute of Technology, which is in New York. I did not finish my degree. There were a few things. One was I was horrible at stitching. <laughs> I was just not good at it. You know, I was very good at designing, but I did not go into this thinking that I would start a shoe brand. As a designer, I first solve problems. Like plastic bags have a very, pretty much have no monetary value after they've been used. You know, nobody's really able to recycle them, so nobody even collects them. And we use a trillion of these plastic bags every year, so where do they really go, right? We're transparent about the entire production process. You can find out where the plastic was collected, where it is processed, where all the other components are coming from, where it's manufactured, what the packaging is. And you don't really see that with other brands, you know, they don't want to disclose where they're producing stuff. Welcome to Mindful Businesses presented by Sarani and I'm your host Vidya Iyer. In our podcast, we bring to you brands that are mindful in their practices and processes. A mindful business adopts and employs sustainable social, economic and environmental practices. Today, we have with us Ashay Bhave, CEO and Creative Director of Thaley. Don't just do it, do it right. Welcome, Ashay. He joins us from Jalandhar, India. Thanks for having me. It is really interesting how the focus of brands and businesses has shifted to being sustainable to becoming sustainable. Do you think that in the near future, being sustainable will pretty much be the norm for any business or brand? I think it's going to be expected of a lot of brands to be sustainable, but I know for a fact that brands are going to cut corners because it's more of doing damage control than actually caring about sustainability or caring about the environment. Mm -hmm. It's to do with selling you more products than to actually, you know, making a product that's actually good for the environment. You see it, you know, we see that now our industry in the footwear and fashion industry. And I see that happening for in other industries as well in the future. But isn't there a consumer push for more sustainable products? There is a push for it. But the thing about this is that it's very hard to differentiate between products that are actually sustainable and products that are not. So very often, you know, brands like Nike or Adidas, you know, they launch a shoe and then they say that, oh, it's made from recycled materials, it's vegan, but they never really mention how much of that shoe is made from recycled materials. You know, very often it's 20 to 30%, 40% at the max. And it's not like we don't have the technology to use 100% recycled fabrics. We do that. Mm -hmm. All the fabrics that we used are 100% recycled. But there is a cost involved to this. All of these big brands, they do have the volumes and they have the money and they have the capital to invest into research and technology for sustainable fabrics and production techniques. There's a lack of motivation. It's more of a marketing tactic or, you know, like a greenwashing tactic than actually caring about the environment. It's very hard to discern. Like we made it a point to be completely transparent. All our products have a QR code on them, the shoes, the box, everything, all packaging, all products. And when you scan the QR code, you're able to see where the shoe is manufactured, where the fabric is sourced from, where the raw material for the fabric is sourced from. All of that information is present on our website. You don't get that with most of these other brands. You know, there is a lack of transparency. You know, even if they are transparent, it's very difficult to sort of prove that the fabric that they're using is actually recycled. I think you have a valid point about the big companies who can actually make sustainable goods 
accessible. And they have the R&D, they have the market capital, they have the power, the finances, and the brand loyalty to be able to bring them to market. So why are they not doing it? There is a cost involved. You know, it is a lot more expensive. You have to tweak your assembly line and your manufacturing process. And another thing is that, I mean, yes, there is a more customers are becoming conscious about this. Mm-hmm. You know, there is an awareness about it, but there's still a lack of education about how all of this exactly works. What is our pit? How much of it is recycled? How much of it is virgin materials? It's, it's very easy to fool people. And, you know, I've seen that happen many times. You said the word ARPET. What is that? ARPET, it basically stands for recycled PET. It's a material made from recycled plastic bottles. Plastic bottles are brought in, shredded into flakes, and then they're extruded into a yarn. And then this yarn is woven into, you know, anything that you want. It can be a canvas. It can be pretty much anything. Especially in ARPET manufacturing, there's a lot of foul play. Mm -hmm. A lot of manufacturers that make ARPET, they claim that, okay, this fabric is 100% recycled or this fabric is a certain amount of recycled. But without, you know, all of the certification and stuff, it's pretty difficult to discern if that's actually true. Because we've noticed that we do a lab test on all of the fabrics that we use to make sure that it's actually recycled. You studied fashion design. Where did you study fashion design? So I studied accessory design in specific, which is shoes and handbags and hats, all of that. I studied in the Fashion Institute of Technology, which is in New York. How long ago was that? That was in 2016. I did not finish my degree. And then I moved back to Dubai and I joined a business course. I wasn't very happy with my course. You know, I wanted a degree that's more marketable. So I went with the bachelor's in business administration and specializing in entrepreneurship. You grew up in Dubai? I grew up in New Bombay, which is a suburb of Mumbai. It's a town of its own. You know, it's treated like a suburb. So I grew up there pretty much all my life. When I was in 11th grade, my parents moved to Dubai and I was living there alone with my grandmother so that I could finish my degree. Mm -hmm. After that, I moved directly to New York after I finished my schooling. And then within a year, I was back in Dubai. So what about the program? Were you not so happy with. What were your expectations? You know, coming to New York, what about the course that made you want to drop out? So there were a few things. One was I was horrible at stitching. I was just not good at it. You know, I was very good at designing, but, you know, sort of micromanaging people and stuff. But I wasn't (laughs) good at stitching myself at all. I can sketch, I can do 3D modeling, but you tell me to make a shoe, I'm not very good at it. And it was the same for handbags. So that was one part of it. And I knew that, you know, I don't want to sit and make a shoe. Like, that's not my end goal. Mm -hmm. And another thing was we had a lot of alumni come to our university and they weren't really doing anything special. This is supposed to be the best university in the world for this particular course. They weren't doing anything special. A lot of them were working in random design studios. You know, nobody was working in the big sort of companies. I was pretty disappointed with it because, you know, in all of these people were American citizens. For somebody who's not an American citizen to find a job, it's even tougher. I knew it was going to be difficult and it was a very, very expensive course. I did not think that I was getting my money's worth. How much were you paying your fees? You know, we're talking about ROI of any degree. $14,000 per semester. So it was a two-year associate's degree. You can add in two more years and then do a bachelor's degree. I was just not happy with it. You know, starting salaries were not very good. They were not 
specific to what I was studying. You know, a lot of them were doing graphic design or not exactly in the industry. A lot of them were doing prototyping and not actually designing. And that is not what I wanted to do. You know, but I always knew I wanted to do something in fashion. I was sort of able to do that in Dubai while I was doing my business degree. Kind of worked out. But the degree did teach you some skills. It definitely did. So it taught me enough so that I'm not taken for a ride when it comes to all of these manufacturers. I know how a shoe is made. I know what goes into making a shoe. I know what is possible and what is not. Mm -hmm. If there's a defect in a shoe, I know what went wrong and all of that. It taught me that at least. This basically gave you almost like an apprenticeship in shoemaking, shall we say, to run your own business. Yeah, exactly. When did you start Thaley? We officially registered the business in May of 2020, but I have been working on Thaley for since I think the summer of 2018. Coming to sustainability, why did you pick a shoe? I did not go into this thinking that I would start a shoe brand. As a designer, I first solve problems and that's how I go about things. So this was something that was just a design project. I was working on many design projects to add to my portfolio mm -hmm. so that I can apply for a master's degree in the future or get a job in Dubai. I was working on many projects and one of the projects that I wanted to work was recycling plastic bags. My mother had a waste management plant while we were in Mumbai. Mm -hmm. She started one of the first vermiculture waste management plants there. And I saw firsthand the problem of plastic bags. Plastic bottles have been recycled for, you know, decades now. It's not the same for plastic bags. Plastic bags have a very, pretty much have no monetary value after they've been used. No, nobody's really able to recycle them. So nobody even collects them. And we use a trillion of these plastic bags every year. So where do they really go, right? So they end up in our landfills or they end up in oceans. That is the first thing that I wanted to solve was I wanted to make something that's useful and a viable product out of waste plastic bags. And that's what I started with. I was trying different methods. I was, you know, experimenting with things that already exist for other applications. I was doing all of this at my home in my kitchen. Ultimately, I had a material that sort of resembled leather. It was very, very rough, but it was made entirely out of plastic bags. You know, it did not use any chemicals to make the fabric itself. And it was a very efficient process. So you're saying you developed the process and the ultimate product using plastic bags. And I must inform our listeners who are not from India, Thaley is the plastic bags that you get at your grocery checkouts in India. Exactly. So you developed the process to make the fabric. How did you think of that? It is completely different than your training, right? You have your high school degree, your fashion design, creative side, and here this is materials, this is engineering, this is chemistry. One good thing was that we had a class on leather and fabrics in my universities. I sort of knew what goes into making, you know, artificial leather or making fabrics. So I kind of had a rough idea. I also took a bunch of random courses at my university. You know, I took human anatomy, I took t-shirt printing. I had the knowledge and access to all of these, you know, different equipments. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I, that wasn't like a eureka moment. It was just trial and error, a lot of almost fires at my home. Ultimately, I did have something that is very rough but promising. And then, you know, over a period of a year or two, refine the end product. Did it go through extensive testing, right? You need... It did, yeah. See if it's flexible, whether it's durable, whether it is waterproof or not waterproof, breathable. So did it pass all the tests that you required? 
yeah it did you know we couldn't test the material itself so we had to make it into a shoe and then test it out if it would work for a shoe so you know there's a machine that's basically like a mechanical foot and then takes about like a thousand or hundred thousand steps and basically proves if the shoe was durable or not and then you know there's a bond test and then there's a eyelet test and there's a bunch of these tests the good thing was that the factory that i went with initially so that's not the factory that we use currently they also manufacture for adidas and reebok so they had access to all of this testing equipment and you know we were able to make a product that's in you know in some cases even better than a you know a regular shoe made by adidas or reebok so you were a small guy at that point in time and how did they even have confidence you know you were not giving them the volumes that adidas or reebok was giving them you were saying make me 500 pairs even if at all that much how did you get entry into these factories it's hard to get suppliers to believe in you and even make you the products the way you want and take you seriously how did you convince them the first prototype that we ever made was that i made myself at a local shoe repair shop i gave him the fabric i gave him enough money and he was like okay fine i'll make it you know he wasn't very happy with it but he was like okay i'll make it and then the second prototype that we made this is when i met my first investor had a proper business plan ready and everything so we went to this boutique shoe manufacturer in dubai and they made a shoe for us uh, like a prototype mm-hmm. and they weren't supportive whatsoever they took a thousand euros from us and gave us a very shitty product it was mostly to chase us away <laughs> you know like here you go here's what we made they weren't ready to do any refinement any testing any improvements on the product and we were like okay fine Mm-hmm. I had the idea of you know I was like we have the shoe ready let's do a photo shoot let's pretend that we're going to launch this product as it is and we did that I mean I wouldn't say it went viral but you know Dubai is a very small city so it kind of went viral in Dubai you know a lot of other people were in- interested in investing you know national newspaper there Khalid Times did an interview with me and so that gave me a little bit of credibility when I went back to India to find manufacturers I was able to show them all these articles and show them that i had the backing and i have you know swiss investors and french investors all of these people but i still face rejection over there we went to 10 factories and about probably like six rejected us we went to these other four factories and they were not very happy to make a prototype but they were like okay fine you know we'll entertain you we'll make a prototype and they did and you know we went with the best one and here we are now you talk about investors has a positive thing but it can also be difficult to deal with investors because there is no such thing as a free lunch right they have expectations they have growth targets they have revenue targets how are you able to cope with all this you are pretty young how old are you you 24 i just turned 23 this weekend okay so you're 23 <laughs> so how are you able to manage it and these are seasoned investors or are they anomaly where they actually are participatory collaborative investors i think the term they use for it is angel investors or like strategic investors so these are people who are investing smaller sums of money 20000 or 30000 dollars each they're also offering their expertise when it comes to you know we have somebody for branding we have somebody for e-commerce for a lot of them it is a passion project they believe in this idea and they want to support me that's the great thing we're not going with a venture capital fund or you know like a vc company or any of that we're going with people who care about sustainability themselves they're not just investing in the product they're also investing in me mm-hmm. that sort of helps they understand that you know i am young and i am new and you know they've been nothing but supportive 
So let's go to the shoe itself and how it is sustainable. I'm going to break down the shoe into different components. Let's just talk about the uppers. So the upper is made from 10 plastic bags and 12 plastic bottles. 10 plastic bags go into the material that we develop called Thaletex. So that makes up about, I would say, 70% of the upper. Mm-hmm. And then there's Arpet, which is that goes into the lining and the toe box area. That's made from recycled plastic bottles. And that's a 100% recycled Arpet, which is pretty rare in our industry. And then the shoelaces. The shoelaces are also made from Arpet. So again, made from recycled plastic bottles. Mm-hmm. The sole is made from recycled rubber. When you say recycled rubber, how do you get it? Is it from tires? Is it from... It's uh, industrial waste. So we're working with a very large rubber company. So they not only make rubber soles, but they also make other products from rubber. And there is a lot of wastage. There's, you know, a lot of waste produced. And, you know, the great part is that they're recycling it themselves. Mm -hmm. All of that waste goes right in the um, sole itself. So it's all centralized. It's not used. It's new waste. It is still waste. It can't really be used for anything else. It is waste at the end of the day. What about the insoles? Insole is natural latex, so it's biodegradable. So that's the foam bit of it. And the top of it is again our pet. It's like a fabric layer on top. You mentioned that there is some sort of gray areas or sometimes the arpet is not what it says it is. How are you assuring that yours is? The great part is that one of my investors, Matteo Bofa, who was the first investor I ever got, mm-hmm. he was working with a company that makes Arpit themselves. So we're not sourcing from them, but he knows the ins and outs of this industry. And he has access to labs that are able to test out the fabric. And that is what we did. We test out the fabric every time we place an order. There's a bunch of certifications that go into it. That's how we know it's 100% recycled. So do you do on-site visits? Because you know, certifications and factory practices are all in place, but there is often some sort of, um, there are instances where they are, even big brands, where they are not what they say. So do you do visits to the manufacturers, to, those, to the other parts in your supply chain? We do that regularly. So we make it a point to at least visit the factories and suppliers every two months at least to make sure everything is in order. Mm-hmm. We send the fabric to Abu Dhabi where it's lab tested. And that's, you know, every time we place an order and receive an order, we make sure that, it, you know, we're not being cheated because you can't really, you know, just see it and find out if it is actually recycled or not. Another thing about and the shoe manufacturing is are the glues. What kind of glues do you use to bound the upper to the sole, the insole to the midsole, and even different layers of the uppers. What kind of glues do you use? So we're using a rubber solution. We source it from this company called Henkel, which is a German company. Glue is 100% vegan. There's no no animal products involved in it, especially in the leather shoe manufacturing industry. uh, Very often the glue that is used is sourced from animal bones and animal cartilage. Mm -hmm. So we're using something that's, you know, artificial and does not involve any animal cruelty or any animal products. What about the VOCs? We're not really using any organic compounds. It's all plastic. Is it water-based? No, no, it's rubber-based. People say leather is actually biodegradable. Most leather is a byproduct of the meat industry. So you're not creating more things. What do you tell these people? It's not, you know, very black and white. The production of leather uses a lot of 
chemicals, you know, leather dyeing, leather tanning. It's a very polluting process. Mm -hmm. Very often, it's not done very well. Most leather that goes into fast fashion brands, for that matter, don't really use leather. Your mid-range brands, most of it comes from India. They don't really have the best practices. Waste is not disposed properly. It all ends up in our waters. I've seen this firsthand. I've gone to the Haravi. I've bought leather from there. And it's not a very happy sight to see. I mean, yes, it is a byproduct, but, you know, I think we should cut down on our meat consumption as well. We need to cut down on beef. We need to cut down on lamb. It's not really a good justification. It shouldn't be happening in the first place. Another interesting thing about your product that I saw on your website is that your boxes are plantable. How did you think about that? Or was there already a person making these boxes? With the seeds, I think you have basil that can be planted. Yeah, so once I received this greeting card that was made from a paper that had um, marigold seeds in it. But it was pretty ugly. It looked handmade and, you know, not really up to the mark, but I really liked the idea. Now, I tried finding suppliers in India. So nobody was really making a shoebox for that matter. It was mostly like greeting cards and random little paper products, not boxes. So I approached this one company in, in Agra. So the great part was that not only do they have a factory that makes this paper, the seed paper, but they also have another company that makes boxes. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, they hadn't really put two and two together and made boxes, you know, because the paper originally, the seed paper originally is a very thin sort of not very durable paper. So we had to specifically develop this for us. You know, it's three ply. It's like a cardboard box, but it's made entirely out of recycled paper. It's made, it's got basil seeds embedded in it. And it's also dyed with waste coffee grounds. I mean, it kind of did exist. But we had to, you know, do heavy modifications and, you know, research into making a box that's actually durable because, you know, we're we're shipping worldwide and box needs to hold up. So how big is your team now? So right now, apart from me, it's eight other people. So we're nine people right now. Not everybody is working full time. Almost everybody that's working on the project right now is, is an investor. And, you know, they're also working on the project. I am the only one who works on it full time. Everybody else is sort of doing it part-time and they have other companies and they have other investments that they're taking care of. That's pretty incredible. The growth and trajectory that you've had since, say, about a year, you must be getting very little sleep. Yeah. (laughs) You know, this has been a dream of mine since I was a kid, so it's all worth it. I've always told people that that I want to be a sneaker designer or I want to be a CEO of a fashion brand. And I've been saying that since I was in middle school. It all feels worth it, honestly. <laughs> I'd rather be doing this than sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> you touched upon transparency, you know, which is a keyword which seems to go with sustainability. Especially you said that people could scan the QR code and figure out where your she was made and give us some details about how you are transparent. We're transparent about the entire production process. You can find out where the plastic was collected, where it is processed, where all the other components are coming from, where it's manufactured, what the packaging is. We've also made a process video, basically like a how it's made video of the entire shoe. Mm -hmm. We make sure to let our customers know that what each material is and you know what it's made of what is the raw material that goes into it so it's 10 plastic bags 12 plastic bottles and you don't really see that with other brands you know they don't want to disclose 
where they're producing stuff. We really don't care about that. Don't think anybody can copy us because we're the only ones that are making this fabric. We prioritize being transparent more than anything, you know, because it's very easy to lie in this industry. Very difficult to discern between regular armpit and, or even like, you know, polyester and armpit. I wanted to make sure that people are aware of what goes into it and how it's made. You said that you were pretty certain that people wouldn't be able to make the exact shoe. Why are more companies not doing that? They Is it just insecurity or do they think that they will lose a competitive advantage if you are transparent all through your supply chain? If things are working out, why change? Nike is still selling millions of shoes every year. People really don't care, so neither do they. You know, it's more of a cost to them. It's just being transparent and things like that. And a lot of times, you know, a lot of shady stuff is happening in some of these factories. So, you know, they don't really want to disclose any of this information. Like, you know, there were some reports that one of Nike's factories was in China was using forced labor from Uyghur Muslims. You definitely don't want this information out if you're Nike. That is a part of it. Sort of ignorance is bliss. Ignorance is bliss, exactly. Did any of your education talk about sustainability? Your training at FIT? Not at FIT. We did not have any sustainability-related courses. Maybe I didn't make it till we had a subject like that. But I, I don't think it's a part of the curriculum. But at the business school I went to, we had multiple courses on environmental studies and social entrepreneurship and things like that. Not in FIT at all. So which was the business school? I was Amity International Dubai. There are several parts to sustainability and sustainability is not a destination, it's a journey. One critical component is durability. How durable are these shoes? You know, they're as durable as a regular, you know, shoe. I'm not even talking about a shoe that's made from sustainable materials, just, you know, a regular shoe. We found that through the testing that we've done. And another thing that we've done is that we want to make sure that people use these shoes for as long as possible so we've got certification from india's biggest shoe laundry they've basically given their seal of approval saying that it's pretty easy to refurbish we're starting a program with them very soon where you know people are going to be able to trade in their old Thaley sneakers and we're going to refurbish them and donate them unless they're very worn out we're going to deconstruct them and recycle them how will you recycle them because there are so many different parts to it, right? And each one is a different thing. So that's... Yeah. Do you have somebody who's going to say it, separate all these parts and then recycle them? Yeah. From the shoe laundry itself, we'll deconstruct them. So we'll deconstruct it into Thaletex, into the sole, which is rubber, and the armpit. The rubber is, again, very easy to recycle. Anybody will take it. Mm -hmm. Same for armpit, you know, very easy to recycle. And Thaletex, also, again, very re easy to recycle. And that we would recycle ourselves to make more Thaley text. Will it lose its integrity when it's recycled? Not really. We've already tested it. That's the great thing about plastic is that it does not degrade very easily. It stays pretty much exactly the same for many, many years. So what is shoe laundry? The shoe laundry, they're basically, it's, it's a very big chain all across India. They help refurbishing shoes. They do it B2C where, you know, you can give your shoes to them, your worn out pairs, and they refurbish them and they send it back to you. And they also work with bigger companies like, you know, Adidas and Reebok where, you know, they take factory seconds or defective pairs and then refurbish them and then, you know, give them back to uh, these companies. That's interesting. So now you are a global brand almost or aspire to become a global brand because you grew up in Bombay 
and Dubai. You have investors from Switzerland and elsewhere in Europe. You got your training at New York. How were you able to navigate through the Indian system? Did it help that you had some roots in India? Because shoe manufacturing is moving from China and elsewhere to India. How can other producers have access to these resources in India? Is it very hard to navigate is my question. It is very hard because a lot of these companies don't have an online presence. So it's it's very difficult finding them. So you sort of have to go to... There are specific industrial zones in India where a specific type of product is made. For example, where I am in Jalandhar, they're known for their sports shoes. Previously, before that, I had gone to Agra, where they're known for their leather shoes. And there's Faridabad that's known for their sports shoes again. You know, that's one good thing that a lot of these uh, industries are sort of centralized in a specific location. So you sort of have to go in person on the street, go to these factories, show them samples, see if they're able to make something. And that is what I had to do. I had to come here to India physically and put in the effort. A lot of the brands are getting B Corp certified. Are you aware of B Corp certifications or are you planning? Yeah, we're already working on uh, on our certification. And do you find it useful? Because what I've heard from brands is that if they do it, when they're starting off, then it's easier than you take a legacy, a heritage brand, and you try to shift gears towards the B Corp rules. Yeah, you know, it's easier when you're a startup because, you know, you don't really have any assets. You know, nothing is set in stone. There is no way to do things. You know, with bigger brands, you know, there is a very set sort of template of how things are done. You know, things are very bureaucratic and they take a very long time to change. It's much easier for us to, you know, get certified. We've had sustainability in mind since the start. Like that is an integral part of the business plan. It is not an afterthought. So where do you see Thaley three years from now? New products or new accessories? So I see Thaley not only diversifying into other products, like, you know, we want to do bags, we want to do clothing. So that's one part of it. And we're also planning to sell and license the fabric on its own. So Thaletex would be sold to other companies. We've already received some interest from uh, you know, other brands to use Thaletex for the, their products. And that is something that we might end up doing you know, early next year. Wishing you all the best. It was a pleasure to have you on Mindful Businesses, Akshay. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You're listening to Mindful Businesses, produced and hosted by Vidya Ayer. If you're a creator of a mindful brand or would like to recommend a mindful brand to be featured on our show, send an email to info at mindfulbusinessespodcast.com. Rate and review us on Apple Podcast. If you learned a thing or two from this episode, share it with one friend. We recorded this podcast in Lafayette, Indiana. The theme music was composed by Tatum Gale. This is Vidya Iyer with Mindful Businesses.